are in a series here on the law of God, the Ten Commandments in the Christian life. And so if you would like to turn to Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5, and we will look at the fifth commandment today. We are 10 weeks into this now, and we're in the fifth commandment, and um, we are now entering into the second table of God's law here. What I mean by that is you could describe the, the Ten Commandments as not only were they written on two tablets of stone, but they're also categorized to be on two, two tables. The first four dealing with our relationship with God, or you could kind of say in a vertical sense. And then the second table of the law is dealing with the, the horizontal, the relationship between, between individuals, between, uh, between human persons. And when Jesus was asked to summarize, which is the greatest of all the commandments, he gave, he gave two. He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus there was representing both of the tables there. The first four and summarizing the first four and summarizing the, the next six. And so with that in mind, um, we're looking at the fifth commandment, which is the beginning of the second table which is dealing with our relationships with individuals, with other persons, with our fellow men. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12 says, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16, similarly says, Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And now I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and 6, which will serve as kind of our base text for this morning, beginning in verse 21, and I'll read through chapter 6, verse 9. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven 
and that there is no partiality with him. This is the reading of God's word, and we say, thanks be to God. And indeed, invite you to pray with me again. Father, having heard your word, we pray now in these next few moments as we reflect on this fifth commandment of your law, the moral law of God, that we would learn from it and how it applies to us in our life today and how even as the many places in the New Testament these are um, echoed and reaffirmed and, and reestablished. Indeed, they've always uh, been applicable to your people from all times in, in all places. And so we pray that as we discover um, and explore what this commandment means for us, that you would apply these truths to our lives and to our, to our families and to all the spheres in which um, you place us. And we pray this in Christ's mighty name and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen indeed. So let me begin by looking at, uh, so there'll be kind of basically three parts today to get through uh, this passage. It's kind of a very simple, short little commandment. Um, it's instruction to children to honor their parents. That's the kind of the straightforward, simple commandments. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. It's interesting to note here, what we'll do before I get into that, I want to kind of look at just those verses in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy 5. But then I want to look at the ways that this is expanded out in the New Testament. And you've probably, if you were listening there, you may have noticed in their reading of Ephesians, you were like, wait a second, they, they quoted that passage there. And I would say that that actually applies to all of the kind of the relationships in there. So there's a principle that's being established in this out of this fifth commandment that's applying to all of these different relationships. So we'll get to that in a moment, but, but let me just do it in three parts today. We're going to look briefly at the commandments themselves. That's the first part. Then we'll look at how this exposition of those commandments are expanded in New Testament passages. That's the second part. And then we'll wrap up with some, uh, some application suggestions from it. So notice in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, it says, Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land. Notice it's to both parents. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about the special role that fathers have in household relationships, but this command is for children to, to honor both of their parents. And what does it mean to honor? Well, it means obedience and deference and respect. And there's a very... Uh, a great deal of seriousness that is attached to this. First of all, the, as the Apostle Paul mentions, we'll look at again when we get to Ephesians um, chapters 5 and 6, that there, this is the only commandment or the first commandment that has a promise attached to it. Did you notice that as you were reading through, uh, through the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20? Um, you know, there's the, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of their bondage of slavery in Egypt. You shall have no other gods. You shall not make any carved images. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And you shall remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And then here on the fifth commandment, it says, Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land. Notice that this is the one that specifically has a promise attached to it. So it's a wonderful promise and blessing that is in it. But there's also a great deal of seriousness that's attached to this. In the next chapter of Exodus, Exodus chapter 21, verses 15 and 17. Again, this is not the part of the commandments of the Lord that are inscribed by the finger of God on the tablets of stone. This is a part of the larger covenant that God has given with Israel. And he gives them a little bit of a warning here. He says, whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Who, and in the, verse 17, whoever curses his father or mother shall be put to death. So the Apostle Paul notes that this commandment, this fifth commandment, has a wonderful promise attached to it. But it also, in the larger context, uh, demonstrates a great deal of seriousness when this commandment is violated for, for ancient Israel. Indeed, it was one that was specifically called out as, as having the death penalty. Now, don't, get in, don't have time to get into what is involved here. What do you mean by strikes and curses his, his um, um, mother or father? What does that mean? Uh, but this means, uh, it means that this is serious. And that seriousness is reflected by the Apostle Paul even in 
Romans chapter 1, when the Apostle Paul is listing off the, the attributes of our pagan world and a pagan society, and he ends at the very end of that letter when he's talking about how God gave over, over the pagan world, um, gave them up, gave them over, he says this, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And what, what ought not to be done? Well, he continues, he says, and they are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness. One moment here. I think I have this scripture on the slide here. Yes. They are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Now, I don't know about you. When you read that list, you could sit there and picture a lot of this this. Bad kind of like murder, maliciousness, haters of God, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, and then disobedient to parents. Seems like a minor one related to all of the others, but this is, no, no, no. This is, this is a serious, serious violation of God's command to be disrespectful of our parents and in particular those who are placed in authority over us. So let me get to how the New Testament kind of expands this out a little bit. And let's look um, in particular here about the commands to, to parents, or the, excuse me, the commands to children to honor their parents. And by parents here, I'm referring to natural or biological followers. The ones in quotes here I'm getting from Thomas Watson, um, a Puritan pastor and commentator. He refers to these as the natural fathers. Okay, so these would be your biological parents. And notice that from Ephesians chapter chapter 6, we have those instructions right there to, to the children about their responsibility to their parents. Notice the command in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Obey your parents in the Lord. This is, this is emphasizing that the child's obedience to their parents isn't just, obedient to, just, isn't just obedience to your parents. Your obedience to your parents is a reflection of your obedience to the Lord in his commands. Children, your parents are given to you by God as an authority over you in your life. And so your obedience to them is an extension of your obedience to the Lord. This is made clear in the parallel passage. And if you want to turn here, you can. In Colossians chapter 3 and into chapter 4, uh, the Apostle Paul writes basically the same list in much abbreviated form. And in Colossians 3 verse 20, he says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So notice the command and then notice the reason. He says, this is right. Indeed, this is righteous. And then he gives the motivation here. The motivation is because of it, it comes from an Old Testament command and notice the promise that is attached to it. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2, honor your father and mother. And then the, Paul, the Apostle Paul adds this footnote that this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So parents, so children, you have a, a responsibility and an obligation to obey and honor your parents. But notice what happens here in Ephesians 5, the, uh, yes, Ephesians chapter 6, the apostle Paul immediately turns in verse 4 to the fathers, okay? So notice it says children in verse 1, and then he gives this command, this principle from the fifth commandment of the Old Testament, from the Ten Commandments, the fifth one, and then he gives this construction to children, but then he turns around and then he adds this instruction to the fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, 
but bring them up in the discipline and instruction in the Lord. A verse, probably the verse that is most quoted by Janet to me in the years of raising our children. Because I would tend to tease and provoke and Janet would often say, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. I think they turned out okay. You think so? <laughs> but notice the Apostle Paul here is giving instructions to the father. So now what I'm, what I'm going to say here and what's gonna, what I think is happening here in this passage is you have... Um, um, you have an extension or expansion of the principle of the fifth commandment here to other relationships that are in a, a, a hierarchy of authorities. And there's instructions then that go not just from those who are below, uh, or we'll call them inferiors. Okay, now I know that might, I'll explain a little bit more of this in a little bit, but inferiors to superiors or to those... To, to those who are under authority, to those who are in authority over them, there's actually, in principle, this applies both ways. Okay? So this is what I think is that if you, you were to understand the difference between, say, like the material or the formal principle of things, um, the material principle is the matter or the essence or the substance of it. The formal one is the form or the structure that it, that it might take in a specific setting. I could say here, probably in this fifth commandment, the way I see it here in the New Testament is that the formal principle here is children obeying the parents. But the material principle, this expansion of it, includes properly honoring and obeying and using authority as established and ordered by God. So the fifth commandment, in other words, is, is more than just about children to parents. As we'll see, I think it includes a whole lot more. So I think that this extends, in the New Testament, you see this extended not just of children's obligations to parents, but even here you see this reciprocal uh, thing happening where the fathers are given instructions according to that, uh, that authority structure that is established by God. You see this elsewhere in the New Testament with this being extended to, to the elderly. An extension of the fifth commandment in principle would be the respect and the honor that goes to those who are in older stages of life, or as Thomas Watson would call our ancient fathers. We've got some amens here from... <laughs> Let me give you a scripture example of this from 1 Timothy chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul, uh, he's writing to Timothy, he's writing to a protege, who he's left in responsibility over the church in Ephesus, and he says to him, he says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. And then he gives some uh, details about what that looks like in very specific ways. But then in verse 8, jumping down to verse 8, he says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This is how serious. This is how serious this fifth commandment principle is. It extends even to those who are elderly among us. So this is given to an instruction to children, to parents, but I think it's given to all for elders. And then also, here's the third uh, thing, and you can follow along here in your handout, that it's, this extends to the family too. Now here, I'm going to spend a little bit more time. This is what Watson calls our domestic fathers, our domestic fathers. And we, this is what we saw in Ephesians chapter 1. You can also see it at the end of Colossians chapter 3 where you see these uh, household instructions. Sometimes they refer to these sections of Paul's letters as, as household codes. Now let me explain households here. So fathers here then would have the sense of not just, you know, the biological father in the family, but the father here would be understood as, um, the Latin phrase here is uh, paterfamilias. Have you heard this phrase? 
you know, father of the family. Or the, it's the oldest, male, um, the oldest male person overseeing an entire household. Now, let me say this about household. This is, and here's the Greek word for household there, or house. It occurs in various forms here, oikos. I'm going to use this a lot here. So I want you to understand the idea behind this oikos. Okay? We in Western, um, the Western world, in the United States, we tend to think of nuclear families. Mom. You know, mom, dad, kids. That would make a household. Back then, a household was much larger. It would include not just the nuclear family, it would include extended family and other relatives that would be uh, over, overseen by the one kind of patriarch over all of it. And not just even family members, also servants. Servants in the household would be included. I guess a modern equivalent of this would be kind of think of like a family that has a family business that has outside employees. The, the, the head of the family who also has the family business would then be kind of the pater familias over the entire, all of his like employees. Now I know it's different. We think of this different in the United States, but this is how it would have been in the ancient world. The Greek expression for pater familias is oikonomos, which means manager of the household or the one who oversees the household. It's kind of, this is also where we get the word economics, too. So let me give you an example of how even the slaves would be considered a part of this family. Think, about, think back into the gospel accounts where Matthew, in Matthew chapter 8, uh, where Jesus is going into Capernaum and then the centurion comes forward to him and he makes an appeal. He says, my servant is sick. Lord, would you come and would you heal him? And in Matthew's account, he uses the term, my child. In Luke's account, he uses the term for slave or servant. So we know it's not a biological child. It's not his biological child, but he's... He has such dear concern for this servant who serves under his oikos, under his entire household, that he has deep care for him. And as a matter of fact, he comes to Jesus to, to heal him. And I love this. Jesus goes, okay, I'll, I'll go in the way. And he's like, no, 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 I'm a centurion. I know, how, I know how the authority structure works. I know how this whole thing, just say the word right where you are. I know who you are. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And that's when Jesus is marveled and amazed. He's, he's amazed two times in scriptures. He's amazed at the unbelief that happens in Israel. And the other time is when he just marvels in amazement at the faith of the centurion. He's like, this guy gets it. He understands the authority structures that are in place. And he knows where I rank in all of it. That I could just say the word and do it. He goes, truly, I tell you, no one in Israel have I found such faith as that. Or here's another example. The Apostle Paul, when he's in jail in Philippi. Remember, they're arrested and they're in jail at night and they're just singing hymns to the Lord. And then there's a, a, a great earthquake and the doors are opened and the jailer who has responsibility over this entire thing thinks that all of the prisoners have escaped and then he wants to kind of land on a sword and kill himself. And the Apostle Paul stops him. You remember this? He stops him. And the jailer says to Paul, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the apostle Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then he says, what? You and your oikos, your household. Now, I'm a Baptist. I could spend a lot of time on that passage here. Um, this is not suggesting in any way, oh, if just the paterfamilias, the oikonomos would just believe that everybody in the household is saved. That's not what this is saying. He's saying that the truth of what he just said, that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it would apply to you, and it would apply to any of the other persons in your household. Right? Yeah. And so he believes. He goes. He takes him home, and it says in verse 32, they spoke to the word of the Lord to him, and they spoke the Lord to whom? To all who were in his oikos. And he took them the same hour at night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once. He and all. Now, the Greek just leaves out the household there. But you get the idea of saying all. Now, some say, 
I, I told myself, Aaron, don't go the Baptist route here, but I need to. Um, because some will argue, see, this is why you should baptize infants, because there were probably infants in the household. And it says, and he baptized the whole household. But it says, and he baptized the all. Now, you could say by implication that means all household, but, but only if you excise out the fact that he says, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and everybody in your household believes. Or if, um, and then he goes to preach the word to him and to all in his household. This is not saying that infants should be baptized. And then he brought him up into his house. He set food before him and they rejoiced along with his entire household, pan oikos, that he had believed in God. But the idea here, what, what the idea that is, I didn't want to get into the baptism part, but I did. The, the idea here is, but notice the responsibility that this jailer has over his entire household. And that in the Greco-Roman world, this oikos would include not just his biological relatives. This would include servants in his household as well. And so this is what we're seeing here in this passage in Ephesians. We're seeing this household cult. We're seeing the fifth commandment talking about the responsibility to honor your father and mother. And that by extension, the apostle Paul is stretching this out to say, you, this means that you have to honor and respect the way that God has ordered authority in the world. And so that's why you see these pairs put together. So it's instructions for, for wives. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. See, head is, uh, is authority. But then he turns around and he says, and by the way, this isn't just one way. It's not just the instructions for, but there's a responsibility that goes the other way as well. Husbands, love your wives. The Apostle Paul actually gives quite a bit more instruction to them. Loves your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Skip down to verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Notice the instruction are given to children. So, and I, I should bring this up. You, you know this by now, but the chapter and verse divisions were not originally part of the Bible. It's not originally part of the New Testament. These come centuries and centuries later. All of this needs to be seen together. What he has just described in chapter five is connected with what he says in chapter six. Goes wives and husbands, and now he goes children's and parents. We looked at children already, verses one through three, and then the instructions to parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. It extends down even to slaves and masters. And I just heard this week, did you hear, I just heard this today, that there was apparently a basketball coach fired. Has anybody got this? A NCAA Division I basketball coach was talking to, was talking to one of his um, players and he quoted from this passage about uh, slaves and masters, and he was talking about authority, structure, you know, as the coach and, uh, and player. And uh, so you can imagine in our highly charged time, well, he was, I don't know. They say that the mob came after him, and now he's no longer employed there. And so some think, well, because of the sensitivity of the issue by using slaves and masters. Let me just say this. In the ancient world... When, when you're reading a New Testament passage where it says slaves, I, I would propose to you um, that it's a vastly different conceptual thing than what we think of here of, of chattel slavery in the 19th century in America. It's vastly different. I'm not suggesting, I'm not excusing it. I'm not saying that there were, there were not abuses. But you, but, but it was not what, uh, what we tend to think of when we hear the word slaves. That's why sometimes I have the word bond servant there. 
In many cases, you would have slaves that would be mistreated in the ancient world. They didn't have rights. They didn't have any, uh, any recourse to any kind of bad things. But, but that was not always the case. I think of the centurion. He loved that. He loved this, his servant. You think of, about the Philippian jailer. Those were slaves under his household. He loved them. Enough to bring the Apostle Paul and share the gospel with them. There are many today who just really are upset that the New Testament isn't clearly, just clearly um, dismiss this whole idea of slavery. This, you need to think of this a little bit closer, and again, it's not exactly, but think of this a little bit closer to uh, employees and employers when it talks about slaves and masters. So notice in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, bond servants or slaves, you know, got a little footnote there. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling and with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will to the Lord and not to man knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or free. I love that. He's saying to the, to the bond servants, he doesn't say, okay, why don't you gather together and overthrow the master of the house and all of No, he's saying, no, 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 you don't understand. The Lord has placed authorities in the world. And these are a good thing. This is all derived from the fifth commandment. That the Lord has placed people in authority over you. And so he's saying to those, if you're a servant, I mean, elsewhere he talks about if you have the opportunity to gain your freedom, gain it. That's, that's fine. You, have, you come into some money and you can pay off the debt that puts you into slavery, do it. That's totally fine. He wasn't against the entire system, but he was saying if you're in the system and if you're going to be a bondservant, if you're going to be an employee that's in indentured servitude to a master, then work for that master as if you are working for Christ. Don't render as a people pleaser to him alone. Think of rendering service as to the Lord. But then there's instructions for masters. Verse 9, masters do the same to thing. And stop your threatening, knowing that uh, he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Now, again, I did not say that there were not occasions where there were abuses by masters of servants. And the Apostle Paul says, he goes, by the way, if you attempt to behave in such a way toward your servants, your bond servants, your slaves in your household, your employees, just know you can expect to be treated the same because the, the Lord is not, you're not, uh, that you're a master over them doesn't mean you're a master over everything. That you're a servant under the master himself. Did you catch that? Yeah? Do the same to them, not stop threatening him, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. Ooh. And then keep in mind, all of these household codes are all derived from verse 21 of chapter 5. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, some, in, some take that verse to mean, well, we're all to submit to one another. It's anarchy. We're all equal. There's no leader. There's no person in authority. This is not, I mean, that's clearly not what he's saying in the context. Because he just talked about those who are inferiors and their responsibility to superiors. He just talked about the superiors and their responsibility to the inferiors. He just did that over and over again. He's not saying we're all on the level playing field. He's saying, no, submit to one another according to the, the, to the levels of authority that the Lord God has established. You catching that? So when you submit to one another, that means recognize you operate according to the status and the position in which the Lord has placed you. If you are a superior in the chain of command, then you're obligated to obey the Lord Jesus Christ in your stewardship of that privilege. 
If you're an equal or a peer, you likewise are to order yourself with the proper respect for those who are above you and those who are equal with you and to those who, to whom you are responsible for. And lastly, if you are an inferior, and this again is not referring to in worth or personhood or anything, this is just saying, talking about into, into the roles of authority, levels of authority that the Lord God has created in society, he says then to those who are inferior, then submit yourselves according to that structure. That's what submit to one another out of reverence for Christ means. And keep in mind, nobody's in whatever strata forever. I mean, I was a child. Now I'm a parent. My obligation shifts a little. I still have an obligation to honor my, my mother. But now I'm a parent. I have people who I'm responsible for. So don't think of like if you're, oh, I'm stuck in this. No, life changes. But what we must not think, what we must remember is that God has established and arranged all, and he himself has ordered the societal units. Marriage, family, and households, or oikos, okay? So that's the third one. Here's, uh, here's the fourth one. Two left. The church. So we have a responsibility to honor parents. We have a responsibility to honor the elders. We have a responsibility to honor those in the family, in the oikos, according to that structure. We also have a responsibility to um, to respect those in churches or what Thomas Watson calls spiritual fathers, okay? And this is an imagery that's repeatedly used by the Apostle Paul for himself as an apostle, but also for his churches, the churches that he plants. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says to, to the Corinthians, he goes, I do not write these things to make you ashamed. I mean, he's got a lot of criticisms of them. They, they needed a lot of growing up to do. And he says, um, but to admonish you, as my beloved children. Paul often used that metaphor. He, he viewed himself as spiritual fathers to his churches. He continues, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I, uh, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And he continues, he says, so I urge you to be imitators of me. He felt confident enough to say that. To the Thessalonians, he writes, for you know how like a father with his children, we exhort each one of you and encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God. The Apostle Paul says, I, I charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God and think of it this way. It's like I'm a father and you're the child. The Apostle John does this too. How many times do we read in his letters, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, my little children, I write these things to you. Or I have no greater joy than that my children are walking in the truth. Well, the same is true then for the, if you extend that out, that the, if one of the pictures or metaphors is like fathers and children, you see this in, Hebrews chapter 13, these instructions to remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way life and imitate their faith. A few verses later, he says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. So you get the idea that this, there's, there's levels of responsibility and levels of uh, authority that the Lord God has placed, not only in marriages, not only in families, biological families, and in oikoses, but even in the church. And then lastly, fifthly, also in the nation or political fathers. And the main passages we get from this are Romans chapter 13 and 1 Peter chapter 3. I feel like I have talked about Romans 13 a lot in the last, oh, I don't know, a couple of years, right? It seems like it's come up almost all the time. But this is the passage where the Apostle Paul is charging to the church at Rome to let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And then he says, for there is no authority except from God. So what, what I've just been saying here is that we, we, the fifth commandment at, at its 
in its formal way is referring to children and parents, but in its material way is referring to the responsibility that we have in all levels of authority. And those levels of authority are not human inventions. The Apostle Paul tells us those no authority exists except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. And therefore, he says, those who resist the authority that God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. Now, oh, so much I can say about this. I can already hear the questions. You don't even need to say them. But I can already hear the questions of everything. The way that this has been abused in the last uh, several years, uh, the same thing for Peter. He says, be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor supreme or governors who are sent by him to punish the, those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Now, I, I don't know that I need to explain all of this for people who've been around for a while. I know I've taught on this a couple of times since 2020. Uh, these are not flat, flat prohibitions to obey even in cases where they're commanding you to do things that are wrong or violating um, violating God's commands. So, you know, in, and so in other words, that's really been the question lately is, well, wait, at what point do we go, wait a second here. The, the scriptures command us to, to obey those who are in authority over us and to honor and respect those in authority over us. But is there a time in which they go too far and we no longer do? Yes, yeah. absolutely. This is not a flat, and I would say that also applies in all of those other categories too. Are you obligated to follow abusive pastors who tell you to do something? No, absolutely not. Are you able to, to just go along with an abusive spouse? No. no. Are, you to, to, are you obligated to obey parents who are commanding you or telling you to do wrong or, to, or harming you physically? No. This is not what is in mind in these verses. I think, let's think about the, the, the national perspective. Like, think of, um, I always think of Rack, Shack, and Benny from the, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? You know, in Daniel, where the king sets up the, the altar and he commands everybody to bow down to it. And they're like, wait, hold on, that's second commandment. We can't do that. We can't, I can't, we're not going to do that. Why? What was he doing? He was commanding what was unlawful. He was commanding them to worship. And they're like, hold on a second. The second commandment, where we can't do that. Now, I'll honor you in doing it. I'll face the consequences. You want to throw us in the fire? That's fine. The Lord can rescue us. Or he cannot. That's up to him. Or a little bit later in Daniel, when it's Daniel himself disobeying the, the king's decree not to pray. Right? And Daniel's like, sorry, I got to pray. As a matter of fact, I'll pray by an open window so people could see me. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, he doesn't just go, I'm going to do this in private and secret. That's just my own little, it's just between me and God. Daniel says no. So notice that there was a, a command to do something that God forbids or a command to forbid something or to do something that God commands. And in those cases, they didn't do it. What was another one I was thinking? Uh, there was, there was a, uh, where uh, Jonathan, Jonathan disobeying, his, di disobeying Saul. Didn't Saul give him a command for Jonathan to figure out how they could bring David to him so he could kill David? And Jonathan's like, no, 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 no. And nowhere in Scripture does it say, boy, Jonathan broke the fifth commandment. Even this, you think of the Apostle Paul, the dude who wrote Romans 13 disobeyed the governing authorities on occasion. Just get out of town quietly, forget all this thing. No, 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 no. You bring the, you bring the leader of the town in, he's going to escort me out. Oh, I can't believe you jailed me. I'm a Roman citizen. And oh, uh oh, we broke the law. Yeah, you did. Or what about Peter, the dude who wrote 1 Peter 3? Quit preaching about Jesus. That's better for us to obey God than men. So I understand that we're really living in very tricky times. We're living in really, really tricky times. 
And I would say in most cases, we're kind of leading to the point where can we still be honoring and respectful to them? Yes, we respectfully disagree. We're not going to obey you. Because, and we give the basis for it. We're not going to obey you because what you're asking us to do, um, giving ex executive orders for us to do or not do, um, what you're commanding us to do or not to do violates, violates God's instructions. It violates our conscience. And so respectfully, we're not going to do it. We're in those times. We're in those times. Here's the danger, though. Here's the danger. Living in those times, it could be very easy for us to become anti-authoritarian in a lot of ways. And that, that could creep into our hearts in very bad ways. And we could think, well, I don't, I don't trust any of the, the authorities anymore. I, I don't trust the news anymore. I don't trust what the government tells me about this kind of drug or that kind of treatment or whatever. I can't believe any of it. And it could be very easy to get very cynical and say, the whole thing needs to be burned down. I'm not saying this is easy, but I am saying what the Lord cautions us here is to remember to honor your father and mother. Remember, the Lord has placed these uh, uh, authority structures in place. Are there times in which we can rightfully go against unlawful things? Absolutely. But what I don't want to see happen is for this to cause in us a heart that is cynical to the authority structures that God has put in place. So what does that look like? Well, let me read a couple of passages from the Westminster Larger Confession. What does it mean? What does it look like to honor? What is the honor that inferiors, and again, this is just using the language of inferior, superior. It's not meaning in superior, inferior in terms of worth or status or authority before God or, or personhood or anything. It's just saying, recognizing that your role as those who are in authority over you. Let me just read one paragraph here. The honor which inferiors owe to their superiors is all due reverence in heart, word, and behavior. The due reverence that is uh, with all due reverence in heart, word, and behavior. This is the thing that I, that I would be, uh, that I'm cautioning against. Is that we would, in our hearts, we would think, well, I'm not trusting any authority. He, this continues. The honor which, is, which inferiors owe to their superiors is prayer and thanksgiving for them. Uh, remember the 1 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says you should lift up your prayers for those who are in authority over you. The honor which inferiors owe to their superiors is imitation of their virtues and graces. Okay, that doesn't mean imitate everything that they do, but imitating the virtues and the graces when they do act justly as they are supposed to. Willing obedience to their lawful commands and counsels. I love boyish, you're glad they added that word lawful in there. So if they do give lawful commands, then we as Christians, the Apostle Paul would say, these, as, if they're lawful commands, these are authorities that the Lord has placed over you. Do submission to their corrections, fidelity to defense and maintenance of their persons and authority, according to the several ranks and the nature of their places, bearing with their infirmities and covering them in love so that they may be an honor, so that we, they may be an honor to them and to their government. So friends, the honor that we are called to give to our fathers and mothers. The New Testament expands this out in, in principle, not only from children to parents, and not only to the, to the elderly, but to all of the relationships that happen inside of the oikos in the household, and in the church, and in our country. And we recognize that the Lord has established these. He's created these. With that, I wanted to turn to 
back to 1 Peter chapter 2. Mentioned it briefly here. But what a better way to go from this, servants being subject to your masters with all due respect, to transition us to the Lord's Supper, taking the Lord's Supper together. If you'd like to turn there, you can. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Amen? Amen. With that in our mind, the fact that Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the tree is what we remember together when we take this meal. That the Lord Jesus broke this bread representing his body and that he took this cup representing the, the shed blood and that he said, this is a new covenant. That we take this, that we eat it in remembrance of me. The covenant of grace, the gospel, is wrapped up in this meal, this tangible way that the Lord has given us to remind us of that good news. And with that in mind, let, let me pray. Let's stand for prayer and then invite you to come to the table. Take the elements back with you to your seats. Lord Jesus, we thank you that on the night that you were betrayed and you were, the night before you were, the night you were betrayed, the night before you were crucified and hung upon a cross, we thank you that you did that for us that you did that in obedience to your Father, that you did it willingly to suffer and to die for the reward of a people, for your saints, to those who genuinely trust in you. And we thank you for that. And we're grateful that we could come to this table that you've given us as an ordinary, everyday way of Means of, means of grace to us to nourish us with that truth. We thank you for that. And we pray in your name. Amen.